Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. If this is your first time here, welcome here. We're glad you're here. And uh, we're starting something new today, uh, which will be seven weeks of talking about tensions. That here at Radiant Church, we live in some tensions. And this came about while I was eating um, lunch, uh, probably a couple months ago. I was eating lunch, and someone was was pressing me, saying that... um, Radiant Church needs more definition. And he was saying that, you know, he was asking for some different positions on things, and we certainly do have positions on things here at Radiant Church. The, uh, we have positions on things um, surrounding Christian dogma. We believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. We believe in the Trinity. We believe in the virgin birth. We, uh, we believe in those uh, orthodox issues, um, but then you also know that within the Christian faith there are some tensions, not just positions, but tensions that exist where we um, struggle in between what feels like a paradox at times. And so in my conversation with this person, I found myself talking a lot about tensions and realized that in the, in the middle of talking about the tensions that we live in here as a church, that that was our position. Our position as a church was to live in the tension and to not swing to either side, but to actually exist holding on to these things that at times stretch us and produce tension within our body. So after the conversation, um, I found myself thinking a lot because they just kind of flowed out. You know, well, what, what kind of tensions are you talking about? Well, I feel like there's a tension between grace and truth. And Jesus was fully grace and, and, and full of truth. And I find at times that there's a temptation to let go of the truth and to reach for two hands for grace. And we don't want to do that. We want to stay in the tension. And we don't want to let go of grace and reach with two hands for the truth. We want to stay in this tension, even though there seems to be a tension in grace and truth. There's a tension for us as a body as we try to be cohesive and inclusive, where we want deep relationships with one another, but we also want to go wide. And there's a tension at times. Do you feel that tension here at the church? Like, which one is it, deep or wide? And the answer is both. Which one is it, grace or truth? Do I be honest or I be nice? Both. And there's a tension. And the temptation can be with any tension to relieve that tension by swinging to one side or the other. And we want to remain in that tension. And so I just want to spend seven weeks talking about different tensions here in the church and encouraging us as a body to stay in these tensions. Um, uh, 
Martin Luther said this, that our enemy does not care what side of the horse we fall off of as long as we don't remain in the saddle. Our enemy does not care what side of the horse we fall off on as long as we don't remain in the saddle. And I want to talk this morning about the stirrups of grace and truth because I think we need both grace and truth in order to stay on the horse and stay moving forward. One of the reasons um, that I... uh, Actually, let me back up a little bit. And I actually just want to read a few different... um, Our desire to stay in grace and truth comes from an understanding, like I said earlier, that Jesus Christ was full of grace and full of truth. He wasn't 50% grace and 50% truth. He, wasn't, he didn't have grace days and then truth days. He was full of truth and full of grace at the same time. And there's a lot of different ideas about who Jesus is. Paul actually said in 2 Corinthians 11 um, that the different opinions about Jesus are seemingly endless. Everybody's got a different spin on who Jesus was. People have a lot to say about Jesus. Thomas Jefferson said this about Jesus, that he did not mean to impose himself on mankind as the Son of God. Fidel Castro, his thoughts on Jesus. I've never seen a contradiction between the ideas that sustain me and the ideas of that symbol, that extraordinary figure, Jesus Christ. Gorbachev said of Jesus that he was the first socialist, the first to seek a better life for mankind. Malcolm X said that Christ wasn't white. Christ was black. The poor brainwashed Negro has been made to believe that Christ was white to maneuver him into worshiping white men. A white Jesus a white virgin, white angels, white everything, but a black devil, of course. What's better is that that interview was actually with Playboy magazine. That's who he said that to. (laughs) The Lakota Native American tribe says that Jesus was the buffalo calf of God. There are a lot of different opinions about who Jesus was, and it's not a new thing. It's not a new thing that we're wrestling with today. Even when Jesus was alive and ministering, he came to his disciples, if you remember, and he asked them, who do they say that I am? And they answered by saying, well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. Everybody's got a different idea about Jesus. And I want to say this morning that we get our ideas about who Jesus is uh, from Scripture. And we believe that through the Bible, we're liberated from just speculation or opinions about who Jesus was. Um, and we're granted revelation. We can know with certainty. We can have confidence in who Jesus was. So we don't rely on South Park to teach us about who Jesus was. or You know, we don't rely on these things. We have confidence. So that's why we're in John chapter 1 today. 
Um, and that's why we get what we know about Jesus from the Bible. It liberates us from opinions, speculation, and it gives us revelation from God. So we'll start in chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, this is verse 16, out of his fullness we have all received grace and place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So the tension that we want to live in is the tension of grace and truth, because Jesus Christ was somehow, at the same time, full of grace and full of truth. A hundred percent grace and a hundred percent truth. The Bible describes Jesus as both a lion and a lamb. And I just want to say, I think one of the reasons that I enjoy my relationship with Jesus Christ is because he's 100% grace and 100% truth. No one exposes me like Jesus does. His words are blunt, they're cutting And no one covers me like Jesus does. No one wounds me like he does. No one heals me like he does. You see, it's his truth that reveals, but it's his grace that removes. And with his truth, he reveals and exposes our hearts. And with his grace, he removes what's been exposed If you read on in John, which I would encourage you to do, um, <laughs> it's really amazing, you know. I, and I've I've said this before, um, but but Jesus is is way more than your homeboy. And whoever made those shirts was probably wasn't reading the Gospels. <laughs> if you read on in in, in the Gospel of John, uh, in chapter two, Jesus turns water into wine. You've probably heard this story before. The party's going to end early, and Jesus doesn't want it to end early, so he turns water into wine so the party can continue on. The very next chapter, in fact, probably two scriptures away, it reads, Then he forged a whip. Here we have Jesus, the life of the party, doesn't want the party to end. So he turns water into wine. And then the very next verses say, Then he forged a whip to thrash some people and get him out of the temple. This guy is dangerous, unpredictable. He goes from lion to lamb, back to lamb. It's pretty incredible to read about his life in the Gospels. I'd, I'd encourage you to read it. A.W. Tozer said this, that God never suspends one of his attributes in order to exercise another. 
So Jesus never has grace at the expense of truth, and he never has the truth at the expense of grace. He's fully grace, fully truth. We, on the other hand, have things at the expense of each other, don't we? It's hard for me to understand being 100% grace and 100% truth. It's hard for me to understand a God who never suspends one of his attributes in order to exercise. His love is his wrath, is his jealousy, is his kindness. He never suspends one of his attributes in order to exercise another. It's hard for me to get that. I don't know how it, is for, how it sits for you guys. But we typically have things at the expense of each other, am I right? You have friends who are, who are Gracies. You have friends who fall off the horse on the side of grace. And you have friends who fall off the horse on the side of truth. You have friends that fall off the horse on the side of truth. They're the people who tell you when there's something in your teeth. They're the friends who are forthright. They're direct. They have no filters. They seem to speak the truth at the expense of grace. And you've got friends who seem to be uh, graceful at the expense of the truth. They avoid. They don't necessarily assert themselves. They don't say what's up for them. They withhold. Jesus never exercises uh, or extends grace at the expense of truth. And he never extends grace at the... I'm like confusing myself now, bailing on that. You know what I mean. We, we actually create TV show panels knowing that one of the judges is going to represent the person who falls off the horse on the side of grace and says things like, well, you look nice tonight. You just, you look beautiful. And we know that there'll be somebody else on the panel who falls off the horse on the side of truth and says, yeah, but you sounded terrible. I know churches that fall off the horse on the side of truth. And I know churches that fall off the horse on the side of grace. I know churches who embrace the truth, but they need a heavy dose of grace. And I know churches that embrace grace and need a heavy dose of the truth. Listen to me, grace without truth will breed compromise and deception. Grace, without the truth, will breed compromise and deception in this church. The truth, without grace, will breed self-righteousness and a crushing legalism here. The whole point of uh, the sermon today is to get you to see that both grace and truth are essential and they're inseparable. They actually need one another. And as a body, as a church, we're committed to to staying in the tension. Have you, ever, have you ever felt the tension between these two things? Like you're wondering how to represent a God who is full of grace and full of truth? 
Do you ever wonder what people need in the moment? They're sharing something with you and you're trying to figure out, do I speak the truth to them or do I cover them in grace? Which one is it today? Do you ever feel like truth and grace are at odds with each other? Like maybe they don't go together so well. Do you ever wonder, man, I don't know, should I be nice or should I be honest? Is the word nice in the Bible? Should I be this today? Last time I was honest and it didn't produce the results I was looking for. Maybe I should opt with something else. I've shared this story before, but I, I, I think that we all encounter this quite often. I once had a man share with me that he was getting a divorce, but his kids were doing great and they were unaffected. And I thought, man, this guy's going through a rough time. I don't know whether just to stand with him and smile and nod or to just speak up and say, hey, that's not reality. I know you might be telling yourself that in order to get through this difficult time, but your kids aren't going to remain unaffected by your divorce. Sometimes I wonder, like, how to be an ambassador for a God who's full of grace and full of truth, when I at times feel like they're at odds with each other. I didn't tell him that I thought he was crazy. I didn't interrupt his fantasy. I just kind of smiled and and nodded and thought that maybe that was the Jesus thing to do. Um, We often, as human beings, have the truth at the expense of grace. And we often have grace at the expense of truth. And what I want to put before you today is a God who is full, 100% grace, 100% truth. One of the best examples of how this works is found in John chapter 8. So if you just keep flipping over to John chapter 8, I'm going to read a story that you've probably all heard before. It's an incredible glimpse of how this all works, of how Jesus was able to embody grace and truth. Starting in verse 2, At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger... When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now 
leave your life of sin. In this story, Jesus doesn't deny the truth. He doesn't deny the truth of what this woman needs, which is to repent and to change. He doesn't deny the truth in order to extend grace to this woman. But he also doesn't deny grace. He sends this woman away forgiven and cleansed. Again, here we have truth and grace operating together where Jesus reveals not just her sin, but also exposes the sins of those Pharisees. And with his grace, he removes that sin from her. Jesus could have sided with the truthies and said, go. And instead of saying, go and sin no more, he could have said, go and you know, burn in hell or whatever a truthie would say. And he could have sided with the Gracies and said, go and sin no more. Don't worry about it. That's what grace is all about. Wait, go and feel free to sin some more. That's what grace is all about. He affirmed the truth and extended grace at the same time. And so we as a church, wanna, we want to hold these things. We want to hold these things in tension. The first thing, that, uh, like I said earlier, the reason why we want to hold on to both of these things is that they're both really essential. Grace and truth are absolutely essential, needed, they're mandatory. The world that we live in is actually starving for grace. We live in a grace-starved, truth-starved world. We need both these things, they're essential, they're mandatory, they're needed. We've got to hold on to these things. The whole, the world that we live in runs on a system of ungrace. Grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited anything is unheard of. You perform in order to have a place. You work hard in order to earn a position. And if you don't, you're gone. There's no grace. There'll be no grace in this upcoming NFL season. No quarterback's going to continue to throw picks, and, and no head coach is going to continue to say, oh, don't worry about it, there's grace for you. You have unmerited favor here on the team. Grace is unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration and their sanctification. Grace teaches us that God loves us because of who he is and not who we are. God loves us because of who he is, not who we are. Grace tells us that no matter what you do or don't do, God can't love you any more than he already does, and he can't love you any less than he already does. Truth is good advice. Grace is good news. Good news. Unmerited favor. The world we live in is starving for grace. In a world where we perform in order to have a position, 
What grace tells us is that you have a position before you perform. That you have a position from which you practice out of. Let me read this, uh, another real familiar story probably to you. Because as, the, as those here that have received grace, we're called to extend grace. And I don't think that receiving grace is very easy. But I definitely think it's easier than extending grace. Peter comes to Jesus. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. And he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then Jesus goes into a parable to explain what he was saying. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife, he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, let the servant go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This parable teaches us that our debt to God is infinitely beyond our capacity to pay back. Our debt to God is infinitely beyond our capacity to pay back. It also teaches us that our debt to God is infinitely greater than any person's debt to us. And then the third thing that this parable teaches us quickly about grace is that when we truly experience God's forgiveness for our sins, we'll be transformed into forgiving people. We live in a grace-starved world, and we want to hold on to that and extend that to the world around us. We also live in a truth-starved world. People are longing for the truth. This is kind of a, this was a, a light bulb moment for me when I started to realize, because I, I, I think that the church uh, across America, maybe I can say that, mm. but I think that we've, we've sometimes avoided the truth 
because we want people to come to Jesus. We've avoided some of those hard sayings and we've watered down the truth and hope that there would be conversion. And it was probably about three or four years ago when something dawned on me, and that was that unless there was conviction, there would be no conversion. So in our attempt to make converts or to see people convert to Christ, we've avoided the truth, when in actuality, You need the truth. You need conviction in order for there to be any sort of conversion in somebody's life. We need the truth. Scripture says that you see dimly at best. Like on your best day, it's super foggy. You need reality. The truth is a, a transcendent, fundamental, or spiritual reality, or it's, it, it means being in accord with fact or reality. Listen to this, because I, I think this is really fascinating. Jesus, when he was standing trial, said that my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. And then Pilate said to him, then you're a king? And Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. It's pretty profound. Jesus is saying, for this reason I was born. And for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone, says Jesus, on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate scoffs. He says, what is truth? As Christians, we're not only called to extend grace, but we're called to walk in the truth. We're called to love the truth. We're called to believe in the truth. We're called to rejoice in the truth. We're called to speak the truth in love. Our example for many of these things is Jesus, who actually said of himself, I am the truth. Again, pretty profound that he didn't say, I'll teach you the truth. I'll lead you into the truth. He's saying, I I am the truth. I embody truth. He's truth personified. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. 29 times just in Matthew, Jesus says to the group, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. These two things, grace and truth, are essential. Because we live in a grace-starved, truth-starved world. And Jesus is both of those things. But they're also inseparable. And I want you to see this. Grace needs truth, and truth needs grace. They need one another. Again, the definition for grace was unmerited, divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or their sanctification. It requires... Grace requires us to embrace some pretty difficult truths. What's implied in that definition? The definition of grace. What's implied? Unmerited assistance given to humans for their regeneration and sanctification. 
You need help. You need help. You need assistance. You need to you need regeneration. Are those those are those can be very difficult truths for me to embrace. And they can be even harder to share with somebody. Human depravity and our need for a savior is one of the one of the things that I find most difficult to communicate with someone, especially someone who's saying to me, "Well, everyone has a good heart." Actually, I don't believe that. It's really, I mean, I'm I'm talking like really in a conversation to interrupt someone saying, you know, he's really a good guy. No, he's, he's really not. (laughs) He he really needs a savior. You know, they just look at you like, you're sick, you know. Don't judge. Grace requires us to acknowledge the truth. That we need a Savior. That we need assistance. That we need to be regenerated. That we've fallen, can't get up. That we are dead in our sins. That we're incapable. A few things that I think will help you just to end see the connection between grace and truth and stay in this tension with me is that grace is not avoidance. Grace is assistance. Grace is not avoidance. Grace is not God looking the other way. Grace is not God burying his head in the sand. That's not what grace is. It isn't avoidance. La, 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 la. Didn't hear that, you know? He's, he's not ignoring sin when he extends grace. It's assistance. Grace is not God lowering his standards. Grace is about God fulfilling those standards through the suffering of the standard setter. Grace never lowers the standards of holiness. In fact, I would say this, Christ actually went to the cross because he would not ignore the truth of our sin. It was that serious. Grace gave what truth demanded. The other thing that I want to say that may help connect grace and truth for you is that grace is not a license to keep on sinning. There's a really famous passage in Romans 6 where Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Grace and truth for us as a church are essential. They're inseparable for us. They need each other here at Radiant. Without truth the world will see no need for salvation. And without grace, the world will see no hope for salvation. Without grace, they'll see no hope for salvation. Without the truth, the world won't see any need for salvation. Grace and truth are inseparable. And we want to hold on to these two. In fact, 
As a church, if we see that you've let go of, of truth and you're grasping with two hands for grace, we're going to tell you, you need to get your hand back on the truth. And if we see you letting go of grace and swinging over here and putting both hands on truth and becoming maybe a legalist or self-righteous, we're going to say, hey, buddy, you've got to take a hand off and you've got to get, your hand, you've got to get a handle on grace. And let's live in this tension together. I think we understand the harmony that can come from tension. I know that I don't like tension necessarily, but I understand that it can produce something beautiful. And I think we understand that because of these instruments that were played. Can I turn your amp on, Steve? Back middle. Can I turn it up, Steve? Lots of gadgets up here. Can you, can you, uh, can you detune your guitar for me? Just one string, just sink it completely. <laughs> when a when a string becomes loose, when we loosen a string on a guitar or any stringed instrument for that matter, it becomes what? Muddy. It's not distinct. It's flat. Grace without truth is muddy. We lose our distinction as a church and what we're doing here will become flat. On the other side, if I were to take this same string and wind it up, truth without grace, when it gets wound up here, becomes annoying, <laughs> harsh, and eventually it breaks because you can't live under that type of yoke. And so we understand that a note in order to produce a sound that we want to listen to has to live inside of attention. And if it swings and gets sloppy, it's no longer distinct. And if it gets wound up, it's harsh and annoying. And it is that clanging symbol that 1 Corinthians talks about. Where are you at on this, in this tension? Have you fallen off the horse on the side of grace? Have you fallen off the horse on the side of truth. 
Let's pray. Jesus, I want to say again, uh, echo Mike's prayer from earlier, you're the author. It says that grace and truth actually came through you, Jesus, to us, and that you were full of grace and truth. And so I ask that you'd reveal yourself to us. It's really important that we see you rightly because we want to become like you, and we will become like what we worship. And so we worship you today, Jesus, as the one who is full of grace and full of truth. We worship you today as the God who never suspends one of his attributes to exercise another. You're holy. You're different than anybody else here. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. And we also thank you for your Holy Spirit, which empowers us to do what you've asked us to do. That you don't just do things for us, you make demands of us, but you give us the Holy Spirit to empower us. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us today, strengthen us. We want to become a people uh, of grace and truth. And we kind of, I, I guess I'm recognizing that becoming like you is kind of a two, a two-point checklist, full of grace, full of truth. We want to be both those things in our community, in our homes, and in relationship with others. Amen. Hey, so um, so Jesus has, as I just prayed, it was a bit of a preach prayer. Sorry about that. You know when the pastor is not talking to God at all, but is just furthering his sermon by talking to you through prayer? And God, I just pray for the person in the second row who's asleep right now, who needs to wake up. The real Jesus, he's done some incredible things for us, but he also makes demands. He also asks us to do some things as well. And one of those things, one of those commands that he's given us is to be baptized. To repent of our sin, which means to turn from our sin, and to be baptized And baptism is an outward symbol or an outward act of something that's gone on inside for people. It's a way for a person to say, I identify with Jesus Christ. In his death, that's why we put them under. And in his resurrection, that's why we bring them up. In the early church, there was... um, a tradition where they would go out to baptize and they'd actually have the group that was being baptized turn their back towards the rising sun. As the sun was about to come up over the mountains, they would turn their back towards the sun and they would face darkness to represent the way that they used to live. And as the sun dawned, they would have those new disciples turn and face the sun and turn their back on darkness as a representation of the way they're going to live from here forward. And there's four people today taking that stand, saying before uh, this church, I'm with Christ. I'm with him. I want to identify myself with him. And I also want to turn my back on the way that I used to live, and I want to face God. I want to turn my back on what was and turn my face towards him.
And so we're going to go outside. We're going to have a baptism because Mindy, Clay, and uh, Alyssa, and Nicole are being baptized. So what we want you to do really quickly, uh, I don't want you to talk to each other. We'll have plenty of time to talk. Um, I want you to head downstairs, and I want you to grab your kids, and I want to meet out here on the grass. And we are going to baptize. And we're also going to pray for those who are getting baptized as you know, because you've probably read the account of Jesus' baptism. I didn't say go yet. David, you don't even have kids. Sit down. <laughs> Sit down. As you guys, there's an, there's, when Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke really directly to him, said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And we found that there's an incredible opportunity for God to speak very personally and very directly to people when they get baptized. And so we'd like to invite you to gather around them after they get baptized and pray over them and pray boldly. Pray God's heart over them and for them. And the other thing is that it was also the Holy Spirit that descended upon Jesus after he was baptized. And he was filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we also want to pray for those who are being baptized by water to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's an incredible opportunity for God to speak very specifically. And an incredible opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come and fill them and empower them for this new way of life that God's called them to. So gather around them, pray for them. Now you can go get your kids um, and meet us out on the grass. Stay, be a part of this, because this is a family affair. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. find Oh, I love the flowers and trees and the smell of the grinding sea and all the beautiful things here in life I